everyone, and welcome to the last episode of Okay Now What Season One. Um, wow, Season One. <laughs> I didn't, um, you know, honestly, you know, when we first started this, it was like, okay, let's just do this. And honestly, I love how, you know, it turned into this amazing, you know, show. You know, we've had so many people on, uh, and we've gotten some pretty good feedback. So. I'm so glad that, you know, Jason and Thomas, y'all were like really uh, dedicated to the to the show and I really appreciate you too. Um, Jason, do you want to give me a recap? Like what, what did you think of doing all this? Listen, it's been a great conversation every week. I mean, I think for the most part, we all come in here uh, with, with somewhat of the same thought. Um, uh, thoughts about various situations, but you know that there have been a couple of times where we we haven't fully agreed on everything. I think you know, and 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 but we've had good discussion because I think even with our with our own um, you know somewhat of echo chambers, I think sometimes you know it's good to have a little bit of disagreement so that we can further deepen ourselves and analyze situations. And so I've I've enjoyed it. I mean, I respect. Um, both of you guys immensely uh, with with your perspectives. Uh, uh, you know, you guys are half my age. And so I don't always get to connect uh, deeply with um, people who are your age and really have taken a good measure of, of the political situation and are and are fighting back against injustice. You know, um, I and, and so it's it's been it's been fantastic uh, to have this conversation each week. I've really enjoyed it and great guests. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Thomas, what was um, some of the highlights you had here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I never actually thought I'd be doing something like this. Like I, I you know, after uh, after volunteering for the Sanders campaign, and obviously I met you through that, Greg. Um, you know, uh, it sort of felt like oh, I'm just gonna have to wait around again. You know, until something else pops up, and uh, but no, this popped up, and um, I'm really glad that uh, I reached out and did this with you, with you all, because it is, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. It just, uh, I, I feel like this is uh, have anything that can sort of help, uh, you know, reach people in terms of uh, um, progressive policies or just debate, just. Bait, just basic rights, I suppose, you know, we don't really, don't really have that in the United States, um, especially from a country I come from originally, so, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think this has been really good, really, uh, hopefully it's been very helpful for people who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, um, honestly, I've, I've had an amazing time on here, especially, you know, I've never, I mean, yeah, I've always, I've been out like out of the closet since 2012 as gay, but like coming out as non-binary on the show, that was like, I didn't yeah. think I was going to do that, but I was like, eh, it's <laughs> me. And, you know, and as someone who is, you know, planning on running for Congress, um, I need to be transparent. And, you know, my constituents, you know, can't stand a non-binary uh, gay individual representing them. Well, too damn bad. <laughs> Um, also, I just have to shout out, season three of The Greg Show will be premiering um, Saturdays uh, starting June 19th. Um, I hope y'all check it out. All the links um, will be in the description below. 
Um, all right, so let's go ahead and go into the news portion. So it's Pride Month, and according to the Biden administration, <laughs> fuck the LGBTQIA plus community. So according to the Washington Post, uh, Justice Department says it can defend religious schools exemption from anti-LGBTQ discrimination laws. So um, that really hurt because, I mean, it is 2021 and we are still, you know, baiting to the religious right. And not only that, he's breaking yet another campaign promise. He was, he, you know, I do recall him talking about being the most LGBTQ friendly person, um, you know, whether it be, you know, him versus Trump, you know, and then you're gonna do this? Come on, honey, what are you doing? Um, Jason, go ahead and give me your thoughts. Well, I mean, I uh, clearly disagree with, uh, with the administration's stance on this, um, but it's interesting because I sent out a campaign email um, regarding trans rights. Uh, and, you know, uh, as a candidate, I've got, you know, an email list and uh, nobody is necessarily asked to be on it, but it's one of those things like, you know, how do I end up on this list? Um, but, you know, all candidates do it. It's the way things go these days. You have to communicate with people. But I got an, I got a response from uh, uh, a queer woman, uh, and I don't, she didn't identify where she was, but she was very much uh, uh, turf. You know, she was very much like, you know what, uh, uh, trans, trans women should not be playing. She was just all about, and, you know, I vaguely referenced, um, you know, the, 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 the laws that are coming down against, uh, trans, trans women, youth in sports. Um, and she really honed in on that and said, you know what, uh, trans women shouldn't be playing, uh, against, uh, natural born women, uh, in sports. And, you know, uh, they, they, they I think we're a deeply divided country on, on trans issues, uh, and and we've got we got a lot of education and a lot of work to do. And honestly, the Democratic Party is is a is a as a an entity is not where it needs to be on this. And so so people have got to fight harder. And certainly uh, when I'm elected, that's I, you know I'm 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 going to be alongside the trans community fighting for rights 100. percent Thank you so much, Jason. And yeah, you're right. The trans community. Uh, a lot of people say the trans community is where the gay community was in the 80s. So we have we have some fighting to do, Thomas. What do you? What were your thoughts when you heard that religious schools can be exempt from anti-discrimination laws? Well, it's 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 a sick twist of um, freedom of speech laws. It's a sick. You know, it's it, we we we've been through this before. Um, do you remember that story about how that? that bakery refused to serve um, uh, someone to make a cake for them. I can't remember, I can't remember the exact uh, story, but it's, it's a few years ago now. And it's just, it's just this, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a sick uh, twist of, 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 of laws in, in place to basically, you know, they, I'm going to use my religious freedoms to basically um, spout my uh, bigotry and i think um it's it's shameful really i i 
you know, we had all these articles about how the Biden administration should be the most progressive administration in terms of uh, the LGBTQIA community. And um, it's just, look, uh, I've just lost count on how many promises have been broken so far. It's just, it's just unreal. Um, uh, uh, the cynic in me, really, I... I probably should have seen this coming really but you know it's uh i don't know it's it's you're right like this is the 21st century like what what we're we doing like we're not even we're not even going to stand up against uh bigotry um especially you know in the 21st century so it's it's just it's a shameful really i think it's very um the Biden administration should be deeply ashamed of themselves for not for not signing up uh, standing up to the yeah. especially well, just a campaign promise alone is shameful, but um, yeah, um, uh, I wanted to add uh, to what Jason said about the tra trans people because um, my home country is, is well, I, I think it's worse the United States actually on this issue. We, we've we've turned into what is effectively Turf Island, um, in fact, uh, um, uh, queer, uh, there's been queer organizations that have come up to literally uh, do trans exclusionary advocacy, right? So you've got um, homosexual, um, lesbian, bisexual, and uh, various uh, other um, people within the LGBTQIA community who, who are literally doing trans exclusionary advocacy. Um, they're suggesting that trans people shouldn't have any part in Stonewall. Uh, as a charity um and i just you know i, I just was a black woman i do that makes no sense at all i know johnson was a black trans woman yep yep um I, I, I completely... there there isn't oh uh, we lost thomas oh is that what that was I, I wanted to say that there isn't there isn't much difference between this in terms of the religious aspect as the fact that we still have the Hyde Amendment on the books that doesn't allow federal funding to go to abortion. That's completely religious based. Um, so maybe maybe one step towards uh, protecting um, trans uh, uh, people from discrimination by religious institutions is that we overturn the Hyde Amendment, which takes away, you know, sort of a precedent of religious-based uh, uh, discrimination. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, move on to our next story, which is another moderate Democrat pissing me off, is that um, according to The Guardian, uh, Joe Manchin opposes voting rights bill and he also continues to defend the filibuster. Uh, okay. Yeah, he's a fucking white supremacist. Because, one, you're anti-voting rights and you're also for the filibuster, which has been used to keep black people from voting and black people from participating in government what the actual hell he might as well we might as well have a republican in that seat 
Like what? Well, I'll, how? I'll be honest with you. I'm waiting for him to switch parties. You know, I I am I am almost looking at my watch and going, I wonder how long it is going to be. I look at my watch that I don't have, you know, but you know, I wonder how long it is going to be. And I I tell you what, the least surprising thing in the world for me to right now would be for three months down the road, Joe Manchin announced he's joining the Republican Party, and maybe Cinema will go with him. I don't know. Um, yeah, get rid of her too. We don't need her. But we keep going. We keep. We keep going back to this. What the hell did we fight so hard in Georgia for? You know, all of the all of the hubbub and you know mega millions of dollars that went into winning those two Georgia seats, and for what? Literally for nothing right now. Literally for nothing. Yeah, I, I wanted to. You know, this. I. I go as far as it's not even just Mansion Cinema. Like we have, it's been reported that there's at least ten or twelve Democrats uh, that that uh, are on the same page with Mansion and Cinema. They're just not being public about it, right? Not public yeah. about it. Oh, and Harper have, and Coons and Warner we, and Kelly, all of them. Yep. We have, we have, we have essentially like a rotating villain. Like every so often, like they'll just they'll just swap out like Mansion for Cinema, or they'll swap out Cinema for someone else, or you know, they'll just, they'll just, they know that the boat is so tight that they don't all have to come out and say that they're against something. You know what I mean? Like, they, they just, they just, you know, so this is the, this is the Democratic Party. Like, you've got, you got, you got, you know, more than maybe 12 or 15 members who, who are fully on board with this way of thinking. Um, you know, it's just, it's just shameful, really. The, 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 the you're right about, about fighting for Georgia and you know it was just part of me is like it was just a fundraising scheme to get a shitload of money out of people it's, it's just it's just really really deeply shameful and well, this is normal for the Democratic Party they say um, you know they 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 they, they, they use all, you know, they, they try and get people's vote and get people's money. And then when the time comes, they, they act like they have no power, even though they control even everything. Even they can. Yeah. Jason, go ahead. Yeah. So here's the thing. It's going to hurt them in the long run. Um, whether it hurts them in 2022 or it hurts them in 2024, uh, this approach to uh, centrist governing uh, is not what the, the voting public wants. Um, the voting public uh, is, is really tired of this. Uh, the people who have fought, uh, even, even the more uh, moderate Demo Democrats, the, the swing, swing Democrats, um, are, are tired of this charade. Um, and uh, if you hadn't seen a memo was leaked, uh, actually, I don't know if it was it leaked. It might have been leaked. It may have been uh, uh, purposely shared. But there was a study done. Uh, the Congressional Progressive Caucus uh, issued, a, issued a study and the findings came back and they said, you know, we, people want progressive values. People want uh, like climate change is a top issue. Even even among moderate voters, climate change is a top issue. You know, healthcare is a top issue. Wages are a top issue. And the Democratic Party is failing on all of these. I wrote an article uh, late last night into the wee hours of the morning that will be published on um, Howie Klein's downwithtyranny.com uh, uh, website tomorrow, um, where I, I go through some of what the Democratic base wants and why progressive candidates have to keep challenging these corporate centrists because we are going to break through. We are going to break through at some point because the evidence is in those findings that came back to the Progressive Caucus 
that people want progressive policy. You know, they may call it a couple of different things and the word progressive might not be always how they can't categorize it, but in terms of the policy, they want healthcare for everybody. You they want a planet that's not that that's going to be they're going to be livable for their kids and grandkids. You know, so the Democratic Party is playing such a dangerous game by not blowing up the filibuster Buster, and by effectively letting Mitch McConnell still, and this is the point that I want to go back to, they are letting Mitch McConnell run the Senate from the minority. This is a guy who in 2009 said his sole goal was to make Obama a one-term president, and they, and they still, regardless of the rhetoric, they are still allowing Mitch McConnell to control the Senate, and they're going to pay, pay dearly for it, and I, I hope to God to be wrong. You know, but you, you, I want to go back to when where you said you know um, how moderate Democrats or moderate voters um, want progressive policies, and they might change the verbiage on that. But you're you're right because I know a lot of moderates would be like, oh well, yeah, that's what I mean. You know, when I when it comes to like Medicare for all, they're like, oh, I don't know about that. But like when I go ahead and describe it, they're like, well, yeah, I support that. So and they're they're not even worrying about I mean, you know, this whole this whole in the past it's been like, how do you pay for it? How are we gonna pay for it? We can't pay for it. People aren't even going there anymore. What people are doing is they are realizing their neighbors are suffering, that their neighbors are in points a point of desperation right now, and that they have been counting on the Democratic Party to save them from you know, uh, uh, poverty from, you know, uh, you know, medical bankruptcy and, and, and all of these things. They have been counting on the Democratic Party. And basically what we still have is when Dianne Feinstein was approached by those uh, those activists, those young activists from Sunrise. And she basically says, that's not how it's going to work. You know, that's not what we're going to do here. Oh, we're not going to children? say, yeah, she they, basically her message to them was, fuck you, kids. You know, that's really what it was. Mm -hmm. And 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 that is what people are recognizing out of the Democratic Party right now is that the Democratic Party is flipping a big old bird to the people who voted them in office. Yeah, that's true. Right. And so now we are going to go ahead and interview Salem Snow, who's running in um Pennsylvania Second District, uh, and go ahead and tell us about uh, your campaign, Salem. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, so uh, we kicked off in January. Uh, we're running in Pennsylvania Second Congressional District, uh, which is currently held by Brendan Boyle, who is a corporate and fossil fuel funded uh, Democrat. Um, we are running completely grassroots, no corporate money, no fossil fuel money, no special interest, and we are running on a bold progressive platform, um, including staples like Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, uh, housing as a human right, as well as uh, supporting what should have been the original pandemic response, like uh, retroactive ongoing stimulus payments and other social safety nets of that kind. That's awesome. Now, what made you do this run? So, well, I've been pretty politically active uh, since a teenager. Um, growing up queer, your identity is kind of inherently political. Um, 
also growing up low income, you're kind of aware of wealth gaps and um, disparities and things of that nature more early on, I think. Um, but I didn't really consider running myself because I kind of thought of that being something that like rich people did uh, because most politicians are rich. Um, but it actually, our, our neighborhood started getting gentrified at a pretty alarming rate and our neighborhood kind of organized ourselves and figured out how we were going to like stand up against it. And I was kind of put in charge of outreach. And so I was reaching out to all the local politicians, trying to ask for help, even just for people to make an appearance at protest and speak. And pretty much nobody responded and the ones who did said no. Um, and that was when I really started noticing that like, these politicians that were saying no we're not responding were primarily funded by developers or other corporations that had interest in not backing you know those kinds of things um so around that time i started figuring like hey like you know that this representative is pretty bad like surely somebody's going to take him on but uh after waiting a few months and being sure about it, you know, like it just never happened. And I eventually figured out if nobody else does this, then like, I guess I'm going to have to. So that's how I ended up running. Well, I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, Thomas, <laughs> you have the next question? Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm glad you brought up uh, housing, actually, because uh, essentially, uh, especially with gentrification, because essentially what we're having right now across America is the form of gentrification across the whole country with BlackRock uh, buying up um, mass amounts of property. Um, tell us a little bit about how you would try and solve uh, housing, especially in your district, uh, and the differences between you and the candidate you're running against. <clears throat> so when, when I look at, at housing and I think about, you know, how housing is a human right. Like it's, it's pretty easy to have that thought and have that concept, right? It's important to understand how we materialize uh, that sort of idea. Um, so what I look to is countries that have already done things like this, um, which I think is really important to bring up when we're talking about this actually, uh, because it's, housing as a human right is often painted as this idea that's like really radical, like it's impossible. Like one question I get all the time is how would you even do that? Like, can that even be done? And it's a good question. And the answer is it can be done because it already has been done and there's multiple ways of doing that. Um, there's been countries like South Africa and the USSR that have had it written into their constitutions that housing was a human right and they worked with public services to build and develop specifically with public housing in mind. Um, and for our most recent example, we have Finland, which eliminated homelessness completely and they did it again through the public, sec through the public sector. Um, they essentially created a program where um, they had government pay paid employees who were kind of taking care of the whole housing thing like a public sector without eliminating the private market. Uh, so these people were well paid to essentially take care of people who had been homeless and help them transition into more of a tenant situation. And what they found once they implemented this government program was that it actually saved them money after the fact. 
So allowing people to be homeless is actually more expensive than solving the problem to begin with. Wow, I never really thought of that. Uh, Jason, go ahead and um, uh, you have the next question, sorry. All right, Salem, it's great to see you. And I just wanna let uh, the viewing audience know that uh, Salem and I have known each other for quite a while. We both ran in 2020, um, we, we connected. We connected through the Rose Caucus. Uh, we we experienced similar entanglements in our own districts, and um, actually, that's and and now this year, I, I want to congratulate Salem for being uh, endorsed with me as part of uh, Marianne Williamson's motley crew of uh, progressive <laughs> challengers. Um, so that's that's great, also. So the, I, I the question I want to ask is really. You know, there are some areas of the country, um, and I remember last year Hector Osaguero talked a lot about the Hudson County um, Democratic establishment. And what I've heard, and I've heard some of it from you, uh, but you're not the only person I've heard it from, is that the Philadelphia Democratic Party establishment is treacherous. Um, Talk a little bit about some of the challenges you are having um, as an insurgent candidate. What's that like for you in uh, in that in your particular area? So, uh, Philadelphia politics is a stronghold for the establishment. Um, Bob Brady essentially runs the party in the entire state, um, and there's people like him who basically it's viewed as like they determine whether or not you're successful or how easy it is for you to be successful. Um, and I have to say that as somebody that started running that didn't really understand what a political landscape was, I didn't really fully know everything I was getting into. I mean, I found out real quick. Um, but some, a lot of the things that I think there. Okay, so there's there's organizations. There's even progressive organizations, right? And they might have like good mission statements. They might do good things, but they're often worried about endorsing people that might piss off the establishment because they don't want to lose their good standing. And that's a really common sentiment. And the same thing holds true with donors, right? So like. My district is the poorest district in the state. The average income is $20,000 a year or less. So fundraising in my district is extremely difficult, if not impossible, to fundraise the money that would be necessary to run a successful campaign. So obviously, like most campaigns, you fundraise outside of your district as well. And one way that people often do this methodically is by raising money in places that are in their states or in their cities that may not be in their districts because people still want to support you if you're still local. In Philadelphia, a lot of people that have the money, like attorneys, no matter how progressive they are, they have that same worry like, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to you know, what the big guys want to do. I don't want to piss anybody off. So that's been like, I think the biggest, the biggest issue is more just like pre-existing relationships and people, even if they like you, being afraid to like step too far out of bounds, so to speak. Yeah, I have, uh, I have found that is, is the case, um, not so much with an entrenched political establishment establishment in in my district, but, but unions, like it's so hard to, even though you theoretically align with unions, 
on all of the things that they say they want because those relationships have been built over so many years with the incumbent and with the establishment. Union leadership is low to, uh, to, to, to test those relationships, even though it may be the best thing for the district and the best thing for their members. Yeah, yeah I, I see that a lot. I see that a lot. Um, you mentioned earlier about reoccurring checks during the pandemic. Um, I wanted to ask one, do you support UBI? Two, how much? Because some people say 1,000 to, you know, I haven't even heard five. Um, how much would you, do you believe in when it comes to UBI? And three, how can we implement that? Okay. It's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I like big questions. Um, so firstly, I do support UBI. Um, especially because there's studies that have, you know, documented the positive effects that come from UBI. Um, a second thing is I support, I would say like, you know, during the pandemic initially, I agreed with Bernie Sanders uh, with the $2,000 per person. Um, having had time since then to evaluate that, I kind of think that because if the economy is different in different parts of the United States, that it should maybe be tied more towards living expenses in different areas to make sure that, because, you know, like $2,000 might be like a lot of money for some people and might not, might not be enough for others, especially if they're in places like, you know, Center City, Philadelphia, uh, New York City, things like that. LA. Yeah, exactly. Um, and as far as how it would be done, oh man, I could, I could go into modern monetary theory forever. Um, but essentially, like, it could just be done with an appropriations bill being passed in Congress, establishing it, you know, just like, you know, and we proved we did this with the stimulus checks, that they can just hand out money. So it's the same concept, just on an ongoing basis to, you know, give some security, you know? Yeah, well, that's awesome. Salem, can you go ahead and just shout out your social medias? your your website how so people can discover you and help you out sure thing um so all of my social medias are salem for congress with the number four and my website is salem for congress with the word for because you know i have to be extra confusing that way but uh, <laughs> thank you for having me though surely you <laughs> bought all of the domains so that even if somebody <laughs> typed in the four it would redirect to the for right so, so, so fun fact i actually wanted to do that and like it was taken like after i did all my social medias and stuff with the number and it was like some dude in florida who had the last name like salem and like ah. ran years ago and still owned the domain and i was like seriously interesting <laughs> all right well there you um, go i'm so glad to have you thank you for uh, yeah it's been great to have you on sale thank you so much take care take care all right and we are going to go ahead and interview our last guest of, of today we have elizabeth morita who is running for congress in california's 38th district um elizabeth go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself your campaign your platform it's all you girl Sure. Uh, so, as, as you mentioned, I'm Elizabeth Moreda. Um, I actually got started, I think probably uh, all of us kind of felt the burn back in the day, right, when we really wanted to get involved in um, politics. Um, and it, it kind of just drew something out of 
um, not just me, but I would say my whole district, I, it went, you know, my whole district kind of went really progressive for both campaigns with um, Hillary and with um, uh, Biden, where we just overwhelmingly voted progressive in the uh, the primaries. So I think our whole district has kind of been waiting for change. We've had an incumbent for about 20 years, um, so 10 terms. And you know, not surprisingly, no one really knows who she was. She was a little bit of background noise. But um, being a Democrat, I wanted to look in to help support her campaign and um, and hopefully, you know, kind of get involved. But the more I ended up looking into her, um, you know, there was a lot of things I just couldn't see eye to eye with. And so the more I was talking to people and a lot of the voters that did kind of feel that progressive wave, the more I just felt encouraged to step up and run. And so. Um, you know, a, a big thing is the healthcare industry um, and Big Pharma are two of, you know, her biggest donors, her two biggest donors. Um, and then finding out that she doesn't even live in California, she lives in Connecticut was really kind of a shocker for us. Um, you know, wow. uh, she, yeah, it's a little a bit of a loophole, I guess she's using to, to use it like an old address or a, a second home out here but um but yeah it became kind of public when um there was some there were some family things going on with her you know it's dawning it all into uh things i'm sure she'd rather not dig up but long story short i did kind of you know make us all aware that her family was in connecticut so we're like how can she represent us when she's not here and so i'm a proud dsa member i've, I've got a lot of encouragement from my dsa friends as well um and just my community and this is my first time running for anything. I've always just kind of been the one that helps support and, and build other candidates. So it's really exciting to kind of be the one that other people are helping to get behind, even though I, um, you know, everything's a first for me. That's awesome. Jason, you have the next question. Um, it's, uh, hi, hi, Elizabeth. Uh, we've chatted over, I think, uh, Twitter a little bit, uh, part of the uh, ragtag band. Uh, I know you're, you're in there. Um, so uh, it's interesting that you say you're uh, the incumbent there. The incumbent, right, is from uh, lives in Connecticut. Is the the guy I'm running against is actually a hometown person. He he lived here, uh, but since he was elected in 2000, uh, he moved to Bethesda, Maryland, and his primary residence for the last almost 20 years has been in Maryland. He simply keeps a condo active in our district, so that you can come back and say he's got a mailing address here. Anyway, uh, so. Um, where is the 38th and what political challenges are you finding from the uh, more establishment democratic uh, crowd uh, with your run? Sure. Um, so the 38th is actually right outside of L.A. It is L.A. County. So we are uh, Norwalk, Cerritos, Artesia, uh, Whittier area, Bellflower. Um, so it's kind of the outskirts of L.A., which are uh, close enough to LA to be near their poverty line, but outside of LA so that we don't kind of get any of the support that LA City does directly. Um, but it's honestly, it's a really great um, district full of really small towns and we've got such a blend of cultures. So we've got a large Asian, Portuguese community, Hispanic community. Uh, so it's, it's really cool. You can get a little bit of everything um, just uh, in our district alone. Um, as far as uh, the current uh, democratic pressure there's honestly linda's not really seen any of her competitors as a threat she just she feels that like if it needs to be a good example is that you know she ordered uh, 
I happen to know the guy that makes her signs through my mom, whole long story, believe it might be an ex-boyfriend situation. Uh, but uh, long story short, he uh, he did her signs for her and she only ordered like a hundred, you know, so it's, it's, she doesn't really feel like there's anything that's going to come and challenge her. Um, but, you know, now you do kind of see like more people that normally would have no interest in your campaign because they're not progressives, like following me and um, keeping an eye kind of on stuff, you know, and, and then there's, there's people who are in city council that when I meet them, they are in some of these cities, they already know who I am and they're already kind of like, oh, you know, just so you know, I've already endorsed Linda. Great. You know, like, that's nice to meet you. You know, so it's, it's, um, it, it, you do get a little bit of that, uh, where there's already kind of that feel out of just trying to, to, to take sides, um, even before there's even, uh, lines being drawn. So I, I, I don't really count on any kind of, uh, support from, the Democratic Party, which, and nor am I speaking it, honestly, all my endorsements and everything I'm speaking are going to be through like local unions and, and real local organizations, because at the end of the day, the um, businesses and communities in my district are what I care a little bit more about than some of the larger organizations. I'd love to hear that. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Thomas, go ahead. You're muted. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, yes, uh, you talk about uh, healthcare and how uh, your opponent is obviously funded by Big Pharma and uh, um, uh, uh, private insurance companies, I assume, as well. Um, and unfortunately, that's a mainstay in the Democratic Party. Um, but uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, have you uh, had any contact with the push to, for universal health care in the state of California? Um, obviously, Gavin Newsom um, ran on the policy of universal health care. Um, and uh, how are you going to advocate for that in the district that you're running for? Uh, actually, that's an amazing question. I'm, I'm glad you even brought up uh, Newsom too. So as I mentioned earlier, I am a DSA member. Uh, our local chapter out here is actually DSA Long Beach, which does cover our district as well, despite Long Beach not being a part of my district. Um, and we were working with the Great Panthers and the California Nurses Association on CalMed, which is essentially uh, Medicare for all throughout the state of California. Um, and mm -hmm. It, you know, it was really cool because we get to be on the ground floor, we're out there championing it, we're out there talking to neighbors about it, and we got it all the way up to the governor's office, um, but his, uh, we'll just say his people, his, his office has decided they are going to table this bill that he promised he would support uh, until 2022 at earliest so that he can focus on his recall campaign, and uh, so right now we are just making people really, you know, that really support this aware of where it stands, why it stands there, um, you know, I know that um, a lot of these organization, organizations that may have um, gotten behind uh, to help Newsom for his, uh, his recall are not going to be getting behind him now because he decided to, to table it rather than push it forward and kind of, you know, even if it, he is on his way out, do like one last really great thing for the state. Um, you know, so I, I know that there is a lot of back and forth with that. Some of it is, is way beyond my scope, but... Um, you know, yeah. it might even help him you know, win the damn election if you were to just implement Absolutely. the policy that he ran on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry Absolutely. to interrupt you. It's just, Absolutely. oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, we, we mentioned, yeah. you know, the recall right now. Why do you think there hasn't been uh, like a progressive challenger to Newsom? 
You know, that's a, a really great question. My only guess to that is because, you know, when he did run, he ran on progressive ideas and he did try to, um, you know, I guess uh, really rule and, you know, get that crowd in on, on his side um, to cater to the progressives. But he's just a progressive in name. And so I think that people just were really trying to stand back and see what he was going to do and, and really try to be there to support him. But, um, you know, he hasn't put action behind his words. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if a progressive challenger is like on the works. I know DSA has talked about, you know, if we should even get involved in uh, his campaign at all. And I don't want to speak for all of DSA because each chapter is a little different, but I do know that they, you know, there's probably a good consideration um, to finding a progressive challenger that'll come in because the ones who've kind of stepped up are not really um, any better. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely something that we know is being given a lot of thought. But I think one of the things that you find uh, with a, for, certainly with a state as large as California uh, and all the money that flows into California, that taking on a, a statewide, uh, I mean, we ask, we might as well ask ourselves, why are we seeing progressive challenges to Diane Feinstein? Um, you know, these people are bankrolled in, in, the, in the mega millions and progressives mm -hmm. just can't do that fundraising. They can't do the outreach. Um, and I and I do think that people are uh, deathly afraid of losing seats to Republicans, and so they say, "Oh, if a progressive challenger can't appeal to the wide widest part of the state, you know, we're going to lose that seat." Um, and you know, we see that with Senate races. I mean, if you, if you re really honestly, if you look at the Senate itself, um, you know, as distinct from House seats, uh, we don't have anywhere. We, I mean, who, who's the progressive senator? I mean, it's Bernie. Uh, and then you've got Elizabeth Warren, maybe. And they're both from two tiny states when it comes right down to it. Um, and so taking off a chunk, bite, biting off a chunk like California is the same thing in Washington state. I mean, we would love to challenge our two senators here, uh, but nobody really has the muscle to do it. Uh, and that's that's part of the problem. I and mean, the system is just awash in corporate money. It is. Um, so Elizabeth, um, go ahead and shout out your social medias your website, just share how uh, people can get to know you and support you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thanks so much for that. So my website is Elizabeth Moreira. My last name is M-O-R-E-I-R-A and that's Elizabeth Moreira for congress.com. And then my social media, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, that is at emcongress2022 or Instagram, which is Moreira for Congress. And if you didn't write all those down, they're all on my website as well, too. So those are the best ways to reach me. And I'll also be in the description below. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming on the show. We, we really appreciate it. And good luck. Pleasure to meet you. No, my pleasure. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. We'll see you around. All right, folks. And that concludes the last episode of season one of OK, Now What?, Again, thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, throughout these 20 episodes, uh, we really appreciate you and we hope to see you in season two. Take care, y'all.